So anyway, I'm going to continue on in um, the book of Second Chronicles, and we're in Second Chronicles chapter 28. So if you'd like to turn there, that'd be a good thing. And you can stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to read the first four verses of the chapter, because I plan on going through the whole thing, so I'm not going to read the whole chapter. Scripture reads, Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, and he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord as his father David had done. For he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and made molded images for the Baals. He turned incense, pardon me, he burned incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom and burned his children in the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. And he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. May God bless the reading of his word. The title of my sermon, by the way, is Judah and Four Comparisons to America. Judah and Four Comparisons to America. Let's pray. Father, we give thanks and praise to you for your goodness to us, that you have redeemed us by the blood of your Son, that we have right standing with you, that we're able to enter into the holiest of holies, experience your presence, commune with you, petition you in prayer, fellowship with you. We just ask, O God, that you be glorified here in the midst of the preaching of your word. Help me to set forth that which you've given me to declare and use it for good in the hearts and minds of the saints, O Lord that they might more readily be useful in your hands to do the work of the ministry with the days you've allotted them here in the earth. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You could be seated. So, you may recall, in chapter 27, we had the rare occasion in history where there is a good civil magistrate, but the people are rotten and corrupt. Remember we talked about that before? Odd. Um, Usually the magistrates are wicked, the government officials are wicked, and they make law changes and policy changes in order to corrupt the people. Here we have the rare occasion in history where there's a civil magistrate that's good, but the people are rotten and corrupt. He wasn't good, good, but he was good in comparison to the rottenness that was readily seen in those days. But verse 2 of chapter 27, just to remind you, talking about Jotham. King Jotham has said, And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Uzziah had done, although he did not enter the temple of the Lord. And then look what it says, But still the people acted corruptly. But still the people acted corruptly. Now here in chapter 28, we see the fruit of a corrupt people. Which is what? What's the fruit of a corrupt people? They get corrupt rulers. They get corrupt rulers. So 20-year-old Ahaz was Judah's new ruler, their new king. And like many young men, he was full of himself. New ideas. And thinking he knew better than those who were older. So he implemented evil in the land, all in the name of freedom of religion, diversity. I'm sure he had all the buzzwords down creating safe spaces for those who want to engage in evil all through Judah, I'm sure. Verse 1 says he did not do right in the sight of the Lord as his father David had done. That's, of course, the patriarch of patriarchs, David, who was long before him. 
He did not do right as David had done. Verse 2 says he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, or, you know, the northern kingdom. And they were what kind of kings? Wicked. They were wicked kings. Almost all of the northern kings did evil in the sight of the Lord. He's like them. And then it also says in verse 2 that he made molded images of the Baals. See that there? Molded images of the Baals. This is a bad guy. And he set up shop, his stronghold for evil, in the valley of the son of Hinnom. You know, like Washington, D.C. is the stronghold for evil in our day. And that's not my first comparison of Judah to America. Remember my title of my sermon, Judah and Four Comparisons to America? That's not my first comparison. Okay. The valley of Hinnom was a deep, narrow valley located immediately south of Jerusalem. It was the dividing line between the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. Many scholars say that because of what Ahaz did there, it later became the refuse dump for Jerusalem. And later was referred to as Gehenna. The fires of hell were symbolized by the Valley of Hinnom. So there's like a perpetual fire going there with all the refuse and filth that was dumped down there. Here at the Valley of Hinnom, Ahaz burned incense and burned his own children according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel, the scripture says here. This is a direct quote from Leviticus 20. Mark it down in your notes. Leviticus 20, verses 22 and 23, where God, after he brought the children of Israel out of Egypt and set up them as a nation, he said, You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my judgments and perform them, that the land where I am bringing you to dwell may not vomit you out. And you shall not walk in the statutes of the nation which I am casting out before you, for they commit all these things, and therefore I abhor them. So God judged the nations that were there in the promised land because of the evil that they were doing, when God brought his children, the children of Israel, in, and he warned the children of Israel, don't do what these guys have done. And one of the evil things that they were doing was burning their own children in the arms of Moloch. It was filth, evil of the worst kind. Ahaz burned his own children just as in our day Americans murder their own children through abortion. No different. Murdering our children today, just as Ahaz and others murdered their children back then. And by the way, this isn't one of my comparisons either to America. I'm still going to get to those. Verse 4 adds that Ahaz burned incense on the high places, on the hills and under every green tree. The incense for any religion, and remember, religion is inescapable. When man rejects the Lord, he still creates his own religion. Even atheism is a religion. Religion is inescapable. Man will worship something, even if it is himself or even it is the, it's the state. And often it's both. They worship themselves, they worship the state. Atheists do, too. Religion is inescapable. 
The incense reminds one of the religion that rules or is prevalent in a nation. Our American government has its own incense burning constantly via the news and entertainment medias, reminding men what they should believe, what they should embrace, and what they should abhor. Their incense is going all the time, burning. And it stands in utter contrast to the rule of the Lord and his religion. Look at verses 5 through 8 here as we continue on. Therefore the Lord his God, talking about Ahaz, delivered him into the hand of the king of Syria. They defeated him and carried away a great multitude of them as captives and brought them to Damascus. Then he was also delivered into the hand of the king of Israel, who defeated him with a great slaughter. For Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, killed 120,000 in Judah in one day, all valiant men, because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. Zikri, a mighty man of Ephraim, killed Messiah, the king's son, Ezrakam, the officer over the house, and Elkanah, who was second to the king. And the children of Israel carried away captive of their brethren 200,000 women, sons, and daughters, and they also took away much spoil from them and brought the spoil to Samaria. So the northern kingdom, along with these Syrian kings, defeat Judah and the Benjaminites. Defeat them. The parallel passage historically for what is written here in 2 Chronicles 28 is found in 2 Kings 16. So you get some details in the book of 2 Chronicles, you get some other details in the book of 2 Kings, and that's why we've been following both books kind of as we've gone through, making reference to 2 Kings again and again. So the parallel passage is 2 Kings 16, and there we see that Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the king of Israel, defeated Ahaz, but we get more info there and see that Ahaz was not completely defeated because Jerusalem itself didn't fall. But it was nevertheless a huge loss. I mean, 120,000 dead guys, 200,000 people taken captive. We would call that a defeat. We would say, yeah, that's a defeat. It's a defeat. When a nation lives in immoral ruin... It has consequences for the nation at large. When a nation lives in immoral ruin, it has consequences for the nation at large. Here in America, the politicians and movers and shakers like to talk about and focus on money and the economy and point us away from social issues or concerns, not realizing it is precisely because of our rebellion to God and immorality that we have financial problems in our nation. And this is not the four comparisons either, the one I just made to you. In verses 9 through 11, we see a vignette about the prophet Obed. Look what the scripture says here. But a prophet of the Lord was there whose name was Obed. And he went out before the army that came to Samaria and said to them, so these are the guys coming back, who had defeated Judah, back to the northern kingdom, Obed goes to talk to them. And he says, look, 
Because the Lord God of your fathers was angry with Judah, he has delivered them into your hand, but you have killed them in a rage that reaches up to heaven. And now you propose to force the children of Judah and Jerusalem to be your male and female slaves? But are you not also guilty before the Lord your God? Now hear me, therefore, and return the captives whom you have taken captive from your brethren, for the fierce wrath of the Lord is upon you. What do we learn from this passage? We learn a number of things. One of the things we learn is that the Lord uses wicked men to accomplish his purposes in the earth. You do know these were wicked people in the northern kingdom. God is using them to chastise wicked people in the southern kingdom. God uses wicked men to accomplish his purposes in the earth, to chastise nations in rebellion to him. Because unleashing the tyrants upon a nation produces repentance in the hearts of men. It's actually a kindness and goodness for God, from God to man, to bring his righteous, just judgment. Wealth and ease produces arrogance in the hearts of men, arrogance against the Lord in his ways. And that's what we have in America in our day. And yet again, that is not one of my four comparisons to America. In the midst of all the evil going on in the northern kingdom, the prophet of God marches in, this Obed dude, marches in and tells the leaders things they need to hear. Notice that the prophet of God doesn't size up what he says to accommodate the mores of the culture, to make it palatable to them. He speaks directly to them, telling them what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. He says the slaughter during the battle was overdone, and then straight up tells them to return the captives, stating, are you not also guilty before the Lord your God? And then he informs them that the fierce wrath of God is upon them. This is a bold brother saying what needs to be said, not tailoring it so they could understand it in their filthy, evil, wicked ears, just saying what needs to be said and saying it plainly, as the people of God should do. And look what happens here. In his bold declaration... Look at the response of these leaders there in the northern kingdom. Verse 12 says, Then some of the heads of the children of Ephraim, Azariah the son of Yohanan, Berechiah the son of Meshilamoth, Jehezkiah the son of Shalem, and Amasa the son of Hadlai, stood up against those who came from the war and said to them, You shall not bring the captives here. For we already have offended the Lord. Even in the midst of such an evil culture, the word of God penetrates the hearts and minds of men. Even in the midst of such a wicked culture, and believe me, the northern kingdom was wicked and brutal, the fear of the Lord penetrates the hearts and minds of men. His word and the fear of him penetrates men. And those who hear the words of the prophet confront those returning from the war. And what did they say to them? 
You shall not bring the captives here, for we already have offended the Lord. You intend to add to our sins and to our guilt, for our guilt is great, and there is fierce wrath against Israel. And this should be the cry of the hour in America. Our guilt is great. And that is my first comparison of America with Judah. Our guilt is great. And that's what Americans need to have impressed upon their minds and their hearts. When you live in the midst of evil, it's easy to begin to accommodate yourself to evil. Remember the whole story of Sodom and Gomorrah? Why did everybody go along with evil? Even his own daughters and sons thought he was a joker, thought he was kidding, when this judgment of God, mocking in the midst of it all. Our guilt is, we've lost sight of just how great our guilt is in America. Our guilt is great and the fierce wrath of God is upon us. Here in America, we have the shedding of innocent blood, the filth of Sodom paraded down the streets in our halls of justice, our legislative outlets at every level of government, accommodating the most perverse and bizarre behavior one can think of. Where are the men in the midst of it all? Everyone's the adultery, the divorce, the spitting in the face of the Lord. It all cries out for God's fierce wrath upon America. Our guilt is great. And all the West needs to cry out, our guilt is great. The Christian West is in utter ruin because of its utter rebellion against the Lord. And so blind, they still don't see it. Just a small driveling of people, each time things get more depraved, seem to wake up and realize, my word, things are depraved. While the vast majority continue in lockstep, accommodating themselves to the filth and the evil. That's my first comparison to Judah. Our guilt is great. And we are reaping the consequences. When a nation lives in immoral ruin, it has consequences for the nation at large. Look at verses 14 and 15. It says, So the armed men left the captives and the spoil before the leaders and all the assembly. Then the men who were designated by name rose up and took the captives, and from the spoil they clothed all who were naked among them, dressed them, gave them sandals, gave them food and drink, anointed them, and anointed them, and they let all the feeble ones ride on donkeys. So they brought them to their brethren at Jericho, the city of palm trees, Then they returned back to Samaria. Here we see acts of repentance. America is in need of repentance and acts of repentance, as is exemplified here in the northern kingdom's actions to the southern kingdom, Judah. And may we see them. May we see repentance, and may we see acts of repentance in the days ahead as God continues to unleash the tyrants upon the people of this nation. Look at verses 16 through 19. 
It says, at the same time, King Ahaz sent to the kings of Assyria to help him, for again the Edomites had come, attacked Judah, and carried away captives. The Philistines also had invaded the cities of the lowland in the south of Judah and had taken Beth Shemesh, Aelon, Jedaroth, Soko, and its villages, Timnah with its villages, and Gimzo with its villages, and they dwelt there. So there's all kinds of trouble going on. And it's the same with America. All kinds of trouble going on. Because we're in rebellion to the Lord. And look what it says. For the Lord brought Judah low because of Ahaz, king of Israel, for he had encouraged moral decline in Judah and had been continually unfaithful to the Lord. Two things here. Verse 19 makes clear why all these troubles had come upon Judah. What does it say? For the Lord brought Judah low because of Ahaz, king of Israel, for he had encouraged moral decline in Judah. And secondly, notice who he looked to for help, who Ahaz looked to for help. Verse 16, at the same time, King Ahaz sent to the kings of Assyria to help him. This has been a continual theme throughout the book of 2 Chronicles. Notice how the people of God looked to wicked people to save them from evil, and notice how God was unhappy with that again and again and again. And here we have it in chapter 8 yet again. We must not look to wicked men to save us from evil, and that is what American Christians and conservatives have been doing for decades, and that is my second comparison of America to Judah. Remember my sermon, Trojan Horse and the Republican Party, about how Scott Presler, the flaming sodomite, was brought in by TPUSA, Charlie Kirk, and the GOP, in order to try to help Dan Kelly win the Supreme Court seat. Remember that sermon? And have they repented of what they did? No, they haven't. Instead, what they've done now, they just announced two weeks ago that TPUSA is going to give $5 million to the GOP in order to help them win in 2024. And who are they bringing in specifically to mark out that $5 million and help them win in 2024, Scott Presler, the flaming sodomite. That's who they're bringing in. And most conservatives and Christians are fine with that. Looking to a man who openly impugns the law and word of God, spits in Christ's face, and saying, help us, please help us, we need you. And then putting him up on its pedestal in front of young people and adults and children, making it out like it's normal to work with men like that to win, to stop evil. You don't join with evil to stop evil. It's ridiculous. They have learned nothing, and neither have most of the conservatives and Christians learned nothing. They are fine with or excited about railing behind a flaming homosexual. They would do good to read 2 Chronicles and realize they should not be looking to wicked men to save them from evil. Remember in the sermon I stated, 
People ask me, I said back then, don't you know how bad things will be if these really wicked men get into office? Let us vote for the lesser of two evils, Matt. I responded, yes, I do know how bad things will be if those wicked men get in office, but do you know how bad things will be if we as his people continue to dishonor the Lord by looking to wicked men to save us from evil? When you look to wicked men to save you from evil, you are proving you fear man more than you fear God. American Christians have been looking to the lesser of two evils to save them from evil, and all along the lesser of two evils just keeps getting more evil. And I keep wondering, when will we fear God? When will we honor him? When will we quit joining hands with evil men, men who openly impugn the law and word of God? Even the prophet Isaiah warned King Ahaz not to look to the wicked Assyrians for help. Mark it down in your notes. Isaiah chapter 7, verses 4 through 7. Isaiah 7, verses 4 through 7. The prophet Isaiah himself goes to King Ahaz and says, Don't do this. Don't join with wicked men to save yourself from evil. And what came of this help? Look at verse 20. Also Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came to him and distressed him and did not assist him. Yeah, he helped defeat some of Ahaz's enemies, but then he made them Assyrian provinces and kept all the money. (laughs) So he distressed him, did not assist him, for Ahaz took part of the treasures from the house of the Lord, from the house of the king, and from the leaders, and he gave it to the king of Assyria, but he did not help him. Did not help him. Tiglath-Pileser used Ahaz's appeal for help to remove and deport three and a half of the northern tribes to Assyria, and the other six and a half tribes were deported 11 years after this. All because Ahaz wanted to look to wicked men to help save him from evil. It looked good in the short term. It isn't good in the long term. And as God's people, we should be looking at the long term. And worse yet, as we'll see in the final verses of this chapter, a grave consequence of Ahaz's reliance upon Tiglath-Pileser was the furtherance of his own apostasy. A grave consequence of Ahaz's reliance upon Tiglath-Pileser was the furtherance of Ahaz's own apostasy. Look at verses 22 and 23. Now in the time of his distress, King Ahaz became increasingly unfaithful to the Lord. He became what? Increasingly unfaithful to the Lord. This is that King Ahaz, the scripture says. For he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus which had defeated him, saying, Because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. You can only do one of two things when you read that passage. Either laugh or cry. Or both. It's a madness. So he's actually going to put these gods of Damascus up and appeal to them because, oh, they defeated me, so God didn't help me. Ever run into people who are ticked off because God didn't have their life be a bed of roses? Yeah. It's 
pretty pathetic. This is my third comparison. Notice his viewpoint. Quote, that they may help me. You got that at the end of his thing? That they may help me. He's willing to mix Judaism, God's way of doing things, with all this pagan false god stuff, as long as it may help me. <laughs> as long as it may help me. That's the third comparison of Americans to Judeans. Judeans. Most men create a religion that benefits them. I've watched it all my life. Some men even twist Christianity in order to make a religion that benefits them. But most men cobble together a mixture of things in order to create a religion that, quote-unquote, may help me. It's a syncretism. Mix a little bit of the things of God that are truly of him and mix a little bit of this false religion beliefs and false God and religion stuff. And yeah, well, as long as it benefits me, it is selfish, it's self-centered delusion. And most men do this. They create a religion of their own making. And I submit to you, this is the in-vogue form of religion in America in our day. It is even the in-vogue form of religion among those who name the name of Christ in our day. Men cobble together a religion of their own making that benefits them. And if you doubt me, just go down to the Christian bookstore and see what's on the shelves. If you doubt me, just go and hear what's preached from the pulpits, what people feed on in American Christianity. What Americans feed on. Go down to the secular bookstore. It's all religious-based. Just look. They're proclaiming their religion, whether a Christian or a non-Christian. And it's, number one, the emphasis is, how does it benefit me? And what does the end of verse 23 say? But they, talking about the false gods, were the ruin of Ahaz and of all Israel. And so Ahaz creates a religion of his own making. Look at verses 24 and 25. So Ahaz gathered the articles of the house of God, cut in pieces the articles of the house of God, shut up the doors of the house of the Lord, and made for himself our altars, in every corner of Jerusalem and in every single city of Judah, he made high places to burn incense to other gods and provoked to anger the Lord God of his fathers. He makes a syncretistic, false religion which benefits him. Or in his self-delusion, thinks benefits him. And here's my fourth and final comparison to America with Judah. And that's this. There was huge compliance with the churchmen of that day in order for the false religion, evil, to grow. You don't see it here in Second Chronicles, the account here, but you do see it in the parallel passage, the historical parallel passage of Second Kings 16. Let's go over there. 
2 Kings 16, turn there, look at verse 10, and we're going to read through verse 16. And you're going to see a state-compliant, state-compliant churchman, just like we have in America today, state-compliant churchman. It says, now King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, and saw an altar that was at Damascus, and King Ahaz sent to Urijah, the priest, the design of the altar and its pattern according to all its workmanship. Then Urijah, the priest, built an altar according to all that King Ahaz had sent from Damascus. So Urijah, the priest, made it before King Ahaz came back from Damascus. And when the king came back from Damascus, the king saw the altar, and the king approached the altar and made offerings upon it. So he burned his burnt offering and his grain offering, and he poured his drink offering and sprinkled the blood of his peace offering on the altar. Those things I just mentioned are all things that they're supposed to do according to God. But they're doing it on a totally different altar. Not the altar that they were supposed to do it. It's a syncretism. It's blending of religions in order to create one that benefits me. He also brought the bronze altar, Ahaz did, which was before the Lord from the front of the temple, from between the new altar, the new altar, and the house of the Lord, and put it on the north side of the new altar. Then King Ahaz commanded Urijah the priest, saying, On the great new altar, burn the morning burnt offerings, the evening grain offerings, the king's burnt sacrifice and his grain offering, and the burnt offering of all the people of the land, their grain offering and their drink offering, and sprinkle it on all the blood of the burnt offering and on the blood of the sacrifice. And the bronze altar shall be for me to inquire by. So he's going to take the actual altar that's supposed to be used by the Lord and use it as a divination tool while he does the sacrifices of the Lord on this false altar. And this is all the madness we have in our day here in America with the false religion that we have here in our day. It says in verse 16, Thus did Urijah the priest according to all that King Ahaz commanded. And this is my fourth and final comparison of Judah to America. Notice the compliance of the churchmen. The state-compliant churchmen of that day, the state-compliant churchmen of our day. The state says you're not essential, close down, they close down their churches. The state says, oh, we'll give you money. We'll reward you for following all our edicts and closing down and teaching Christian people to stay six feet apart and put gobbledygook, slimy stuff on their fingers, not show up for a while. We'll give you money. Thank you, churchmen. You state-compliant churchmen, thank you so much. We'll twist scripture, these churchmen say, in order to make it seem right to the minds of the dopes who sit in our churches. We'll tell them that it's the loving thing to do to put that mask on, to sit six feet apart, to get that shot. That's the loving thing to do. We'll hide it all underneath the biblical ethic of love, while in reality, they're showing no love at all. Because Christians don't show love by telling lies, by violating the ninth commandment. Exodus 22, verse 3, talks about how God's people don't join in a lie. 
the love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13 says that love does not rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. And that's what Christians give to men, the truth. That's how we demonstrate our love for others. Not by joining in a lie, as all the churchmen taught their dopes who are sitting in their buildings week after week, month after month, year after year. And they're all happy with their little form of Christianity because ah, yeah, it benefits me. I get rid of my kids just like I get rid of them with the government school each day. Yeah, the babysitters at the church are awesome. And they go and teach my kids to think that puppets are good and that we should sit around and drink coffee and hobnob. Yeah. It's disturbing to watch. In closing, understand it was the compromises of Ahaz's father, Jotham, and his grandfather, Uzziah, that made him vulnerable to such evil. One scholar put it this way. He said, quote, The luxury and ease of the time of Uzziah and Jotham because it was a time of luxury and ease, and we know how that undoes men. The scholar said, the luxury and ease of the time of Uzziah and Jotham had produced a spiritual indolence in Judah that would allow Ahaz's open sin to flourish, unquote. And that's where we're at in America. The same thing. Drunk on our wealth and ease, we've created a form of Christianity that accommodates to the drunkenness on wealth and ease. A Christianity that can be like a chameleon and adapt to any evil, adapt to any cultural change or situation. And I've watched the religion of America change in my lifetime from the ways of the Lord being preeminent to where they're not recognizable in this culture any longer. Barely recognizable in this culture any longer. I find myself more and more having nothing in common with this nation and its people because the rebellion is so huge and massive. And you young people have no idea what was just a short time ago. And how quickly it's changed. You might think, how did they go from Jotham to this character like that? How did America go from what it was when I was a kid to what it is now? And understand all the foundations that had already been fissured and fractured when I came on the scene in 1960. They had already been there. But the collapse is so quick. In one generation. Someone could live to watch it. And I watched it. It is astounding. Verse 26 says, Now the rest of his acts, Ahaz's, and all his ways from first to last, indeed they are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. So Ahaz rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the city in Jerusalem, but they did not bring him into the tombs of the kings of Israel because he was evil. Then Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his place. And next time we're in Second Chronicles, we will learn about King Hezekiah. And we'll learn about him for a while. Let's stand up and we'll have a 
Word of prayer. Lord, we give thanks and we give praise to you for your goodness to us that you have redeemed us. And Lord, you didn't just redeem us from something, namely our sins, but you also redeemed us for something, namely to live our lives in service to you. And Lord, we just ask and pray that we would live faithful to you, that we would do right by you in the days ahead. And Lord, we thank you for your goodness, even in the midst of the evil. May we keep our faces low to the ground, utterly dependent on you. Lord, be glorified. Be glorified, we ask. Through our lives, through this congregation, may it bring strength and hope to others. May even those who may be like Paul now, on his way to Damascus to wreak havoc for the people of God, May we see those in the days ahead who come to know you and serve you faithful in the earth, totally transformed by the power of your Holy Spirit. We give thanks to you, O God, for your goodness. May each of us do right by you in our office, whatever that may be, whether man or woman, whether husband or wife, whether father or mother, may we do right by you according to your word and your way. We rejoice in you, O God. We pray that each young person, each child has a heart hungry for you, that you give strength of heart and mind to each one. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. You can be seated, and we are going to take communion at this time.